In this week's episode, I'm joined by Michelle Silverthorne, best-selling author, diversity keynote speaker, founder, and CEO of Inclusion Nation. This week, our conversation is about California's new law for diversity in venture capital, the NBA's first non-binary referee, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Michelle, will you please introduce yourself? Hello, Bernadette Smith, who I met five years ago. I am Michelle Silverthorne. I am the founder and CEO of Inclusion Nation. My pronouns are she, her, and I am so thrilled to be here and be a part of this. I predominantly give trainings and workshops and speeches. I give around 100 a year all across the country and the world. A lot of them are virtual. A lot of them are in person. But my focus is really on what practical behavioral shifts that each person can do to make inclusion and belonging a reality for everyone, but especially for those who are marginalized at work. And so I love being a part of this and I love doing this work and I love hearing about good vibes. Thank you, Michelle. Well, since, you know, you're talking about kind of individual behavior as you as you introduced yourself, I think that actually leads perfectly into what I wrote about in this week's five things, which was about connection and, and how it's so important to lead with connection. And I told a story about my son who's turning 13 this week. And one thing that I've learned over time in parenting him is that as long as I actively listen and engage in his interests, which are usually somewhere around Roblox or anime or something related to gaming, let him control Spotify in the car and give him plenty of space. If I do those things, he's generally pretty cool. And then we can talk about the things that I want to know about, like school and friends and all that stuff. And so basically how in my relationship with my son and with my team and other folks, try to start with connection first before we get to the content. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear your thought on that advice and perhaps some other tips you have for small inclusive actions that folks can take. Yeah. I mean, I loved what you said about connection before content. I think that that is, especially right now, you know, after I tell people after George Floyd was murdered and, um, you know, we did a lot of town halls, a lot of trainings, a lot of programs. The most popular question I received was Michelle, you know, can I, you know, how, how do I talk to my kids about race? And I would talk about that a lot. But the second most popular question I received is Michelle, can I reach out to my black colleagues right now? And I would always say, you know, you can always reach out. Like, and then like some of us got reached out a lot that time. <laughs> but if you reach out without ever having that connection with them, without ever, you know, talking with them, finding about their lives, their communities, the work that they do, the religions they celebrate, you know, finding about who they are as a human being. And then all you want to know is content, right? So like, give me your thoughts on this. What do you think? Have you thought about this? Just playing devil's advocate then they're never going to trust you. And, it's, and that's something that you mentioned in your newsletter. 
That is the trust that matters. And it comes up again and again, and we're seeing it again with all the folks who are debating what is happening right now in the Middle East. Connection before content. If you would like someone to listen to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, how are you connecting with them so they actually listen to you and pay attention to what you're saying and then respond to it instead of automatically going, well, they're wrong and they're not right. And I'm not going to listen because it doesn't jive with what I think about the world and my perspective of this world. And I think that that, you know, I, what I, I love, I love your book so much. And the reason I love your book is because it shares, you know, how, what are the systems that we can put into place that are actually sustainable, that will lead to long-term behavioral shifts. And that is where I think, you know, you, however you get to that behavioral shift, that is where we are going to go. And that's why the connection part matters so much. Yeah. Thank you. You know what, but it doesn't happen accidentally, right? right? We have to really build in the structure for it and, and create the time for it, which could mean that you really, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes of your one-on-one, maybe more, mm-hmm. you know, you have to spend that time connecting with folks, even in weekly check-ins with your team, spending a couple minutes. And I think it just really can, it, it, it can't be about productivity. Right. It has to be about just, I mean, as simple as connection. I think what's challenging too for folks is between COVID and the hybrid workplace and everyone working harder than ever before, it's hard to find that time to make that connection. It's hard to say, okay, we are going to spend 10 minutes before we even get into the substance of what we have to do to really talk about your days and what happened. Plus, you're putting yourself in a position of vulnerability. And so many leaders hate leading from that position because it makes them feel weak. It makes them feel that they're taking a step back. But again, I mean, this is a new generation that we are leading. These are new conversations that we are having. What happens outside of the workplace impacts every single person inside that workplace. And being that leader who's able to say, here's what I experienced this weekend, or I'd like to know about, you know, about you. And do they trust you enough to share that and making sure that you're listening, like when you are sharing your feedback with them, are you paying attention to how they change their actions? Are you paying attention to what they're asking of you? That paying close attention to what someone wants and what they're looking for, that is the hallmark of great leadership. Absolutely. And it's a skill, yeah. right? It's something that anyone, anyone at all can develop. Mm-hmm. And so you too can be a great leader. Plus, I feel it gets away from all those biases, right? You know, who do you picture in your head when you think of a natural leader? Someone who has Mm -hmm. that charisma and who is, you know, a six foot four tall white guy. Like, Mm -hmm. no, we need to get away. I mean, that person's probably a great leader, right? But they weren't born to those skills. They were, they honed them, they developed them, they learned them, and that's how they become great, became great leaders. And the more that we can get away that leadership is innate or these traits are just something that someone is born with, and the closer we can get to, Anyone can be a great leader. Now, we all have different skill sets, right? But we can develop them in turning in and into something that's centered on empathy and honesty and transparency and all these actions that will actually work for the next generation of leaders to come. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Well, before we get into this week's five things, Michelle, you know, let's, um, let me just ask a quick question. Do you really believe with all of the chaos of the world and here in the U.S. that there is such a thing as good vibes in DEI? Um, yes, because if I didn't believe that, then I would want to ask anyone, why are you doing this work, right? What is mm-hmm. What does justice and equity look like to you, right? What is the goal of inclusion and belonging? If, you know, if we aren't focused on how 
to make and like demonstrably, this is how the world is better. And this is the, how our interventions work. And this is how it makes people's lives more fulfilled and people feel valued. Yes, it works. And yes, it happens. And yes, there is pushback. And yes, there are stepbacks. But yes, we keep moving forward because it is always yes and and not yes, but. Mm, and that yes. is what we to focus on. It's all about, you know, I love yes and, yes and, yes and. And that's how we keep going. So, yep. I believe in good vibes, Bernadette. And I think that, you know, if you read, if you read Bernadette's newsletter, you will see that there are people who are trying, there are corporations who are trying and they are having success. Yes. Thank you. And yes, and is definitely a recurring theme in this work. So let's get into this week's good vibes. All right. The first story comes from Walmart, which is becoming increasingly common here on Five Things, I'm happy to say. It is rolling out doula coverage nationwide to address racial health care disparities and improve maternal outcomes. So it was originally a pilot program in several states, and now it has rolled out nationwide. This is an amazing thing because over 5.6 million women lack adequate maternity mm-hmm. care and black women especially. Right. Yeah. The racial disparity is especially troubling. And so much of what, you know, especially so much of what we do is like, well, it's this cause and this cause and this cause and this cause. That is all correct. But also, what are you doing for a solution? Right. Mm -hmm. You can spend all your time waiting to figure out if we had this and this and this and this and this, we could maybe solve one part of it. Or you can do what Walmart did and release a doula program and partner with a black owned organization or black led organization to say, here is how we are going to address this. These are the steps that we are going to take. It is not just performative. We are putting money behind it. We're putting resources behind it. So I love it. I've had two kids. Listen, doulas are helpful. They make sure that you are healthy and content and they intervene as necessary. And I think all of those are good things. Absolutely. And when there are so many of Walmart's employees that are, you know, BIPOC, that are low income, that are in rural areas, I mean, all of this really matters um, Mm -hmm. to them. So, you know, I particularly love stories where the most undervalued and underappreciated employees like customer facing employees get some good vibes, too. Right. What I also loved about that Walmart story was there was a little line in there that said, um, there are many people who don't even know what these services are. And the fact that this program is helping build awareness of what doulas do and how they can support someone during the during the pregnancy process, I think is, you know, giving that access to pregnant people so they can realize that here is what we can actually achieve with a doula, even if I've never even heard of this person or I don't know what they do, giving that visibility to them is, you know, is a great thing. Yes, it sure is. It sure is. Okay, well, let's move on to the second story, which comes from the state of California, where Governor Gavin Newsom recently signed a bill into law that requires venture capital firms in the state to annually report the diversity of the founders they support. It goes into effect March 1st, 2025, and is the first legislation in the U.S. to increase diversity in venture capital. It's all about transparency here. Love that. Love that transparency. I love the data because again, Mm -hmm. we're looking at, you know, I'm not telling you you have to set quotas. I'm telling you to have goals, right? So if you're looking at your data right now and it's telling you that only 2% of the folks who come before you are black led or woman led or LGBTQ plus led, then you tell me that in 20, you know, in three years, I'm going to increase that number to 10%, to 15%, to 25%. And that's how you set your goals. And then that is such a broad law, by the way, y'all. It's anyone who even has an investor who is from California. So pay attention to your VC firm, pay attention to who actually invests in it, because 
no matter if you think you don't do business in California, I'm pretty sure that law is going to apply to you as well. Wow. And it's perhaps something that we'll start to see other states enact going forward. Yeah. All right. What happens in California, which is really nice. That's what they can always be like the leader for that. And then everyone's like, yes, let us catch up. Hey folks, you got it. And you have an attorney as my guest today. So she's, we have a extra layer of expertise here. Pretty, pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The third story comes from Charlottesville, Virginia, where the controversial Robert E. statue is being melted down to create a new inclusive art piece. So this piece has been actually removed since 2021 but it's now being turned from a divisive symbol into one that unites the community, a project called Swords into Plowshares. Mm. And then it's going to go back up. And I love it. I love that too. I love that we're taking something that's so painful and unnecessary, honestly, like we don't need a reminder of, you know, of, of a lot of people's pains. And they've told many, 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 many times why we would like these to be changed. And hopefully more people can understand the history of why those Confederate statues were put up. I mean, why they they existed in the first place. And the whole point of them was to intimidate and to harm people, right? They weren't put up as a a relic or a memory. They were put up to intimidate Black people. And the more that we understand the truths of that, then there are other ways to, I mean, there are so many other ways to, Southern history is rich and it is deep. And there is so many layers and levels of culture that we can acknowledge without acknowledging this, making this the centerpiece of all of the discussions. And yeah. so now we can make it, you know, make it bigger and make it more fruitful and educational. And we can dive into deeper into what the history of the Southern states have and how it reflects in where we are right now. And um, I, 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 I always hope, I always hope that, and I always hope that this is another way to show that there is a greater history than what we've been putting into these statues. Exactly. And in most of them that have been removed are, you know, in storage somewhere, but I think that it's really amazing that this is being created into something new that can mm-hmm. unify folks and that can celebrate the the rich, diverse history of the South and kind of bring people together. So hopefully we'll start to see more of that as we uh, continue to see statues removed. Okay, the fourth story comes from Che Flores, who made history as the NBA's first openly non-binary and transgender referee. So it's their second season as a staff referee, and they came out in a recent GQ article. Pretty amazing. That right? is amazing. I, you know, I um, as, as, as a season ticket holder to both the Detroit Lions and the University of Michigan football team, which is not a great time for any of us right now. Um, I love hearing stories about what our sports, which are so meaningful to so many of our population, and they really are a harbinger of like what else is to come, right? If we can have non-binary referees and it's non-binary athletes, it's non-binary owners, it's non-binary staff members, it's women on the field refereeing NFL games, yeah. all of these actions are then reflective of this greater country and the people who are part of it. So love hearing that story. That makes me happy. Good luck. Yeah. Get good luck to them and let there be more. Yeah. Dude, first but not last, right? That's Exactly. Exactly. All right, well the last story this week comes from Morgan's Wonderland, a fully accessible theme park in San Antonio, Texas, which is investing 6 million dollars to add some awesome new features like a four-seat zip line for wheelchair users and riders who require respiratory equipment or other gear, a 4D cinema ride that simulates a roller coaster. And uh, it's pretty amazing. They've already welcomed 2.7 million guests from oh all goodness. over the world. 
have fun. I do not like roller coasters and <laughs> you will not get me on any kind of zip line, but I am supportive of the people who have chosen that as their life. Like that is, you do what you do and I will be cheering you on from the sidelines. But again, you know, the, if this amusement company can do that, then think of all the other theme parks, amusement park companies that can do the same thing and with probably a lot more funds than they had. And again, it's about being intentional. It's about looking at your population that you are serving and the one that you are trying to reach and making sure that you take intentional actions to include all of them. And I love that. I won't be on the roller coaster anytime soon, but I love that for them. You know, me too. And uh, yeah, the older I get, the the more I can't, I can't do those rides. Um, but you know, but we I love just, that for them. That is what we said. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But you know, I, I think it's just, I love the stories where more people get to experience joy, you know, and yeah. there's a lot of joy to be found on those rides and more folks are now going to have that access. So you can have what that a wonderful thing. smile from your kid who's on that and just for the first time they've been able to experience something that they've seen their friends do or they've seen on television. And that as a parent, that feeling of knowing that your child is included. I mean, I have a neurodiverse kid. Like I just, that feeling of inclusion matters so much. And I'm really, am thrilled for the families that are going to be able to experience that now. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being an awesome guest this week. How can folks connect with you? Sure. They are more than welcome to follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, um, at In With Michelle. If you're on LinkedIn, Michelle Silverthorne, you can find me there. And then because I love following in Bernadette's footsteps, I have a Monday newsletter. It's called um, Monday Mornings with Michelle. And you get a video, you get um, some advice for the day, three things I would love you to do this week or practice this week or put into place. Today is almost we celebrate our five-year anniversary of my consulting company, Inclusion Nation. I'm just so thrilled to be here. So feel free to find me on any of those platforms. I will always be there. Yeah, Michelle, you're the best. You have a great newsletter. Love your energy. Love what you bring to this DEI conversation. And so grateful to have you with me this week. Um, folks, this week's call to action is a, a checklist or tips for the subtle art of checking in from Levi Bayer. So we'll make sure we put that in the show notes and also in the comments on LinkedIn so you can see some, some tips about building connection first. All right, folks, thank you so much. If you don't already get the Five Things newsletter, you can subscribe at fivethingsdei.com. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.